yeah, they launched some exclusive content from Star Wars, and there was a J.J. Abrams avatar. And there is my my doorbell. Hold on. <laughs> Perfect timing. I totally forgot that that was going to happen. <laughs> Hello, and welcome back to another week of Floor 9. I am your host, Scott Elchison. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Adam Simon. And on this episode of Floor 9, we're going back to our media future roots. Adam and I will be having a conversation on the metaverse. For those that don't know what the metaverse is or might have heard of the term but haven't fully explored it, uh, stick around after... Adam and I discussed this week's news to, to learn more. Uh, it's a pretty exciting conversation about where we are today uh, and what needs to be done and developed uh, before we all pretty much live in a computer simulation. So with that, Adam, let's dive into this week's news. What's, what's going on? Uh, the biggest news of the week is probably what's happening right now as we're recording, which is uh, four of the CEOs of the of, of four of the biggest technology companies uh, in, in the world are testifying mm-hmm. in front of Congress. Um, and uh, we don't know exactly what will come of this, but it is worth noting that that it is, it is happening while we, while we record. Um, and it's the first time that they've had uh, all four CEOs. Uh, it's the first time Tim Cook and Jeff Bezos uh, are in front of Congress. It was actually the first time I ever heard Jeff Bezos' voice uh, when I when I tuned in for a little bit. <laughs> uh, he sounds exactly like the way you, you would think Jeff Bezos would would sound. Um, but this is something that we'll be watching and, and reporting back on. Uh, as, as Adam mentioned, it is still going on. Uh, so hopefully we'll have some more in-depth analysis for this uh, on a following episode. In in other news, uh, coming out of the world of, of conferences, uh, CES has decided to go online only. So CES 21 will be completely virtual. Uh, this is obviously not a surprise, just given the current situation that is going on with COVID-19. Yeah, so CES is not happening in person, but rest assured, uh, we will be bringing you coverage and content about what is uh, being announced at CES and still curating all of that content for you, just like we, we would if we were walking the floors uh, of the conference hall in Vegas. Yes. But but this year, no no walking, just just Zooming. You'll have to figure out how to gamble <laughs> from home if that's uh, what you're into. <laughs> um, pokerstars.com. Or something, or or something like that, <laughs> and then finally, uh, in the world, or I guess in the ongoing drama of uh, movies, TVs, and theaters, AMC Theaters and Universal Studios have struck a historic deal that will significantly reduce the theatrical window in which Universal Studios ne- needs to keep their movies uh, in AMC theaters. So you might remember that AMC Theaters and Universal um, Pictures were were the two parties involved uh, in this dispute back when uh, Trolls World <laughs> Tour uh, <laughs> shattered the shattered the theatrical window um, and enshrined itself in history. Uh, and um, you know there had been a lot of bickering back and forth on both sides around. Uh, you know, Universal was saying they were going to go day and date with their on demand releases and their theatrical releases. AMC said absolutely not universal kind of gave them side eye because all their theaters were closed so what were they going to do about it um but uh so after this this back and forth um amc and universal have agreed on a 17 day mm-hmm. window which is a weird number but it's 17 days because that encompasses three weekends um so it's you know two weeks plus an, an extra weekend that is the minimum amount of time that universal will hold back uh 
home video releases um, of their their content. Now that could be um, sell, you know, a, a, an, an SVOD service. It could be uh, transactional mm-hmm. on demand. Um, there's there's a lot, you know, that part of it is still open. Um, and the other thing to note is that they're not saying that it's always going to be 17 days. It's not like um, every single movie on on day 18 is suddenly available on you know iTunes and and, and Amazon, um, but it is giving them that flexibility. Mm-hmm. Now, from a theatrical perspective, this AMC is probably thinking, well, we make most of our money in the first two or three weeks of a of a of a movie opening anyway, which is true. <laughs> However, if consumers know that they only have to wait 17 days after it comes out in theaters, that might also lower their inclination to go mm-hmm. out to the theaters if you know it, it's coming soon. Um, so there's, you know, just by shortening that window and by having that, that you know, very, very small number of days, um, I think it might, uh, it might incentivize consumers to hold out and wait. But on the other hand, it also reduces risk for the studios. So for, from Universal's perspective, perhaps try more movies mm-hmm. in theaters. And if a movie isn't performing well, well, there's nothing really lost because it's going to be on home right. video soon anyway. Um, it, it also helps them with their marketing spend because it's such a short window that it gives they can you know, do one marketing push to promote the, the film um, on both channels and sort of change that messaging as, as they – you know, decide to flip the switch. Um, so I think it, you know, we're going to see a lot of experimentation, I'm sure, um, in the first uh, mm-hmm. year or so. Um, but in all in all, I think, you know, good for Universal. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily good right. news for AMC. Uh, you know, it could be. It, it could be. It, it, there, I, I can envision a world where it would work, but I think uh, in order for that to happen, AMC would have to solve some of the other problems around theatrical distribution. Uh, most importantly, making that experience uh, a premium one that consumers mm-hmm. feel like they want to leave the house and, and right. pay for. Uh, and we're still not exactly sure coming out of this now five month quarantine, what consumer behavior will be like and the uh, likelihood that people will return to theaters right. once they are available. Um, so that, that is another kind of question mark uh, in in this whole thing. Uh, we'll be keeping our eyes on this uh, to see how things progress and roll out. Listeners, let us know your thoughts. Um, you know, when, when are you going to be like returning to movie theaters? Uh, we'd, we'd love to hear from you. Well, Adam, with uh, wrapping up the news here, I want to transition our way into uh, the main part of the show, our, our conversation about the metaverse. So you had recently written uh, a two-part series uh, about the metaverse and uh, some of its impact on COVID-19 or the I guess the impacts it has seen from COVID-19. So can you just set the stage for us here on, on floor nine? What, what is a metaverse? This is a, I think a term that has been floating around for a while. It's something that I think we've kind of poked at throughout the podcast, but uh, let's go deep on this, on on the subject today. Can you tell us what, what is a metaverse? A metaverse is basically a shared virtual space in three dimensions. The idea is obviously we have some things like that now. They they are mostly video games. Um, um, And I've been calling these things protoverses because they do give us that shared virtual space uh, with with other people, um, but they're all totally siloed off in their own games and applications right now. And what the the metaverse really is, is when all of those different spaces start to connect to each other, um, much like the web works where, uh, you know, the, the World Wide Web started off as a bunch of 
siloed uh, networks in in different uh, universities and government agencies, and eventually was all connected together. And that's basically where we are with the metaverse. Um, and the metaverse is another, like the web, another layer of the internet. Um, and it is what I think a lot of uh, a lot of technologists, if you ask them today, you know, what is the, you know, defining technology 20 or 30 years in the future, it's probably the metaverse um, as as one thing that will change our, our technology and media consumption dramatically. And why, why do we think um, this is so, I guess, like revolutionary? In the sense that we have we have the web today, it is you know powering like the this twenty first century you know technological like revolution. What what are the benefits that we're going to get essentially from like living inside like like a three D space or going to this three D environment that is outside of uh, what we have today? Yeah, I think the the. The difference is exactly what you said, is living inside of it. Um, the, the difference is that even though, you know, the mm-hmm. smartphones took the web from a destination to something that was with us all the time, you're still turning on a screen mm-hmm. to engage with uh, with with the web and with the internet. Um, now, you know, there are technologies like voice and AR that might uh, change that relationship a little bit. But, uh, you know, I think... AR voice and and the metaverse are are three things that, you know, combined will give us a, in the future, a, an always, a truly always on connection uh, to not only to the network, but, but to more importantly (laughs) to each other. Um, And the metaverse is, is someplace where you will be able to socialize like you can today in these, these proto verses um, like Fortnite and and Minecraft and Roblox. Uh, But you can also, will also be doing work Mm -hmm. in them. Um, rather than, you know, looking at a grid of, uh, of faces in a Zoom window, um, you'll be interacting in three-dimensional space with your coworkers, which is something that would be very useful to, uh, to in, in some cases right now. <laughs> right. And I mean, is it is it locked into like VR? I feel like that is the end use case of VR. Is when we talk about a metaverse, people have goggles on, they have the full suit that is like tactile and sensitive. And like, so is that is that where this ends up? Is that it has to be like this is like that futurist state of VR that people have been talking about and building towards these past you know decades essentially? Yeah, it's really um, people always jump to VR, and I think that's partially because the easiest way to imagine interacting with a world like that is virtual reality. It's mm-hmm. easiest, and you know, Ready Player One and Snow Crash certainly do this uh, as well. But it doesn't necessarily mean VR, and it doesn't. It certainly doesn't mean VR exclusively. Um, so mm-hmm. uh, you know, when we when we look at the landscape. Uh, the, the the landscape right now. I mean, look at the things that are um, what I've been calling protoverses, but things that might one day grow mm-hmm. into pieces of the metaverse. Um, things like you know Fortnite or Roblox or Minecraft, Facebook's upcoming Horizon. Only one of those mm-hmm. uh, is a VR application right now, and that's Facebook Horizon, and that yep. has to do with their you know ownership of Oculus. And Facebook is planted their flag in VR being successful, and they've they've kind of are tying their metaverse ambitions to their VR ambitions. And I think, you know, look, fast forward 50 years and probably all metaverse and metaverse style things will have a VR component. <laughs> but I think the yep. an important 
competitive point is that because Facebook is so invested in that VR, they're kind of giving up building audiences now. Um, whereas Fortnite and Roblox and Minecraft, they all have over 100 million monthly active users. I think Roblox is up to 150. Mm -hmm. I think Fortnite is yep. uh, is around there and Minecraft is around there as well. You know, they, they already have these enormous audiences. Um, because they're not in VR, because you can play them on your mobile device, on your on your iPhone or your Android yep. phone. Yep. Um, and I think that in the long run, that ha building up that audience puts them in a more competitive space and a better place to you know grow that audience and obviously to hold on to that core audience they've already built. Whereas Facebook is saying. We're building this new thing. Not only do you need to, you know, download a new app, use this new app, but actually it only works on our hardware. And there's only, <laughs> you know, five or 10 million, of, of, you know, people who have our hardware out right. in the world. So I think, you know, yep. they kind of jumped to the end. Um, and by doing that, I think they might be sacrificing some of the the audience in the short term. And, and you know, that audience isn't just about... Um, about attention and eyeballs. It's also about revenue. It's also about yep. data, data and learnings and understanding how people want to use these spaces. They're kind of all that stuff is being put to the side. Yeah, I think I think that's that's the biggest thing I think about in all this is that obviously we have an ideal future of what we want this metaverse to be and what, and what we do in it. But I think if you go right to the end of just building that VR application and you don't have an audience to tell you how you interact with it, you're going to build for the wrong thing. What is this doing or how is this going to transition from where we are today to that metaverse of the future, right? Like, like what, are, what are the steps in which we need to go there? Because obviously, I think us being home is giving a window into um, all generations to start to kind of adapt these digital first experiences. Yeah, I think, I think the one thing that's, that's shifted in the past six months is... Um Younger generations, people who are familiar with with games, have been using games as social spaces for a long time. Um, but the the big shift that's happened is that we we're seeing more casual gamers pick up on that. We're seeing people who mm -hmm. are not even gamers at all. At least maybe they're not doing it yet, but they understand why someone might want something like that um, because mm -hmm. um, you know they're they're looking at you know, doing what, what a lot of us are doing. It's they're, they're staring at zoom or teams or uh, Slack or whatever it is um, all day or Skype or Skype. <laughs> and, and, and then, you know, looking for something else to do, having that differentiation between your sort of work life and, and social life when it all lives mm -hmm. on the same screen is, is really difficult. And, you know, there's also the benefit, and I think we're starting to see this trickle out into the way we're talking about business tools like like uh, Skype and, and Slack and Teams and Zoom, um, is uh, spatial interfaces where we're not all just in box Brady Bunch boxes on the screen, but there's some sense as to who you're looking at, who you're talking to in a crowd, you know, who or even possibly you know breakout rooms and other sort of you know places in the moving closer or further away from somebody doing mm -hmm. a presentation, things like that. We're starting to see some of those um, experiments start to roll out. And I think there, if you look at them, that, that idea about taking our 2d screens and making them into more three dimensional spaces, even when that's about moving zoom boxes around starts to look a lot more mm -hmm. like a video game. And I think you can start to see how we get from, Zoom and Teams to Fortnite, even for, for folks who are not necessarily gamers. 
Um, so, so I think all of those things are, are, are starting to bubble up in the, the collective consciousness. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that is positioning us for a faster and uh, more directed uh, growth towards an actual metaverse sooner than might have might have been the case, you know, uh, pre-COVID. Right. Yeah. And so what about creativity? Obviously, we've seen creativity just blossom uh, as people have been stuck at home and especially with the adoption of the smart home camera. But I think one of the things that we're going to need to see a lot more of is, you know, creativity in the metaverse because it needs content. So how do we see like that content gap being filled? There's a couple of important pieces in the content thing. One, you're exactly right when what you said, a lot of it will be user-generated content. We need to, these platforms have already started to foster um, sort of creativity inside their platforms. I think the one that's the furthest ahead is Roblox because they actually have a way for you to monetize your creations in game. So they're becoming a true platform in the sense Mm -hmm. of uh, eventually um, folks, creators in Roblox will make more money than Roblox themselves uh, make, which is the Bill Gates definition of a platform. Um, so they, they pay, they're paying out $250 million to developers in 2020, which is up from $100 million uh, last year. So, you know, in, Roblox is worth $4 billion. So there's still a way to, to go um, before, before their creators mm-hmm. are, are producing that much content. But it is a 250% increase uh, year over year. Um, and I think that, mm-hmm. uh, again, some of that was pulled forward because of COVID, but um, that, you know, they're creating uh, not only the tools to create uh, inside their application, um, but also the the incentive with that monetization. We've talked about the state of the soon-to-be metaverse today in that it is very siloed, uh, and it's more like this concept of a protoverse. And so what steps do we still need to take to make that transition from these siloed environments uh, to a more unified experience that would be more reflective of the metaverse uh, of Neil Stevenson's Snow Crash. Yeah, so there are a few things uh, that are are holding that back. And mm-hmm. I think these are the things to watch out for uh, because as we achieve them, we're getting closer and closer to, again, another to totally new layer of the internet that is going to unlock trillions of dollars uh, in in terms of economic growth in the future. You so, heard it here first, folks. Trillions of dollars <laughs> of economic growth. So the first thing, and this is the this is the technical challenge. This is the thing that right now we we can't do technically, is to create a persistent shared experience at scale. And by scale I mean millions or billions of people using it at once. Mm-hmm. Um, all of the examples of these protoverses that we have today um, they are some of them are, are persistent but not scaled or shared um, some of them are shared but not persistent um, by persistent I mean it, you know if you if, if there is a uh, you know a wall on a, on a building in, in this virtual world and you graffiti the wall is it still there tomorrow or does it reset mm-hmm. um, we see this with things like Fortnite which is very uh, very round-based, where you're going to play a game of Fortnite, but then the island resets uh, for your next encounter. Yep. Shared, obviously, means that you know uh, multiple people can interact in it together. Um, but the, the scale is what's super important, because even the most sort of technically advanced 
um, games right now. If you look at like Fortnite and what they did with Travis Scott, they had about 12 million simultaneous players in the first Travis Scott concert. But those 12 million players weren't actually on the same Fortnite islands. They weren't interacting with each other, uh, all 12 million of them. They were actually in, you know, what we technically call, if you call shards, where there were about 100,000 different instances of 120-ish people in each of them. Um, so if you and I both went in, the chances that we would be in the same shard, the chances we would be in the same version of that mm -hmm. island uh, are very low. <laughs> um, and obviously Fortnite did stuff on the back, back end to make sure you were um, likely to be grouped with your friends and, and people that you play with. But uh, that is the biggest hurdle. Um, that right now we have... We see fantasies like Ready Player One where everyone's in a shared virtual world. We're at the point where we can really only do that for 100 or so people at a time. So to scale that up from 100 or so to all, you know, the entire population of the planet, um, or even let's just say of one country, um, starts to become a big technical challenge. Mm -hmm. um, and the where the thing to sort of watch in this space is what's happening with cloud gaming, um, with uh, things like uh, Microsoft XCloud and Google Stadia, um, where that's the thing that's going to enable the um, that kind of of synchronicity of millions or billions of people in one instance, because cloud gaming um, scales. It's designed for scale. Um, and it, it means that Google and Microsoft can just throw more computing at the back end to scale it as more people join the experience. And again, even though theoretically that's possible with, with uh, cloud computing today, it is not something that any of our cloud providers can actually do today. Um, but I think this hopefully explains some of why all of our major cloud providers, Google, Microsoft and Amazon are investing so heavily in gaming um, because they do see this as a long-term investment in building these kinds of, of metaverses going forward. And they know that uh, the cloud that gets there first, that is able to really create those games at scale uh, first is going to have, you know, a market advantage. Mm -hmm. um, and again, one that's going to go beyond gaming to touch eventually every area of the economy. So what what are the barriers today of how we are accessing uh, these games uh, and potentially like the, the metaverse in the future that, that needs the change. Uh, what are the barriers? Well, I mean, a, a major one is that right now to engage with any of these games, you have to understand how to use either a game controller or a mouse and keyboard to interact with three-dimensional spaces. And this is something that, you know, Generations who grew up with gaming and who, you know, that that is starting and, and, and more popular younger and younger. But there are people, there are still people, even young people out there who don't, on a regular basis, play modern video games. Um, and that means that they lack the skills to be able to navigate, much less create content in those spaces. So that interface needs to get simpler. And this is a problem that eventually will solve itself because... As a metaverse starts to grow, people will acquire those skills because they'll see value in it. Um, but the the simpler we can make those and those interfaces, the more accessible uh, it's going to be, and the faster it's going to grow. Yep, absolutely. Uh, next up, Adam, like, there, there's this concept of varying levels of engagement and and attention. So, so what does that mean from like a, I guess more of like the content that is in the metaverse? Yeah, and this is another one that will will sort of 
grow as the metaverse grows as well. But um, the ability to engage with content without giving it your full attention is, uh, and, your, and your full attention, you know, for long periods of time is one of the benefits of things like the smartphone, like mm-hmm. using voice, like uh, augmented reality. And I think that right now, all of these metaverse experiences and protoverse experiences require pretty much your full attention. Mm-hmm. If you want to watch the Travis Scott concert in Fortnite, you have to be pretty engaged because uh, it's going to be moving you around and you have to, you're engaging with it and interacting with the environment. You're not just leaning back and watching. Um, even if you want to go, you know, watch the the, the Star Wars clips uh, that J.J. Abrams debuted, you still have to navigate your avatar in 3D space to make sure you get a good uh, standing position to be able to see the screen. Um, there's a lot of like stuff that you have to do to engage with this content. Mm-hmm. And at some point, that barrier of entry needs to come down as well. Don't you think that is the right way to be developing content for these experiences is like start high take all your attention and then as things start to grow and develop like it'll slowly trickle down to the more casual experience or side of things um because i think right now it's like if there isn't something that is super engaging that is going to pull you into this and this experience sure but eventually though it is going to limit your audience and that's the reason to be thinking about making these things more accessible because the number of people just like like i was saying earlier about virtual reality the number of people who are willing and able to dedicate X amount of time to this experience when it's the only thing they can be doing is going to be smaller than the number of people who might do it as a background activity or multitasking with something else. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is, again, it's something that it, we don't necessarily need today, but for the metaverse to take over for things like the web, we do need that ability to multitask and to be to be engaged in, in multiple experiences at the same time and to be mm-hmm. engaged with things in the real world at the same time. Right. And then next up, we have an ecosystem of many platforms. So, so, what, so what do you mean by that? Uh, is this something where, you know, Essentially, Facebook can't just dominate it with Facebook Horizons uh, because the scale is going to be too big. Is it going to be something more like the open web where you have independent publishers uh, that are building websites and content and all that? Like, What are we defining as an ecosystem of many platforms for the metaverse? Yeah, it's it's all of those things. Um, basically, the, the idea is here is that it will, despite uh, uh, several companies wanting to dominate the metaverse and own it. It is not something that can be owned by one company. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is. It will necessarily require um, an ecosystem of companies who specialize in different things, um, who have different strengths and weaknesses, and who interop- interoperate with each other around things like commerce and things like identity. Um, it's very similar to how, how the web works today. Um, it is not the 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 internet would not be as successful um as and as important and as pervasive as it is if if the internet were all facebook or all google or even all facebook and google <laughs> um it, having the having a constellation of uh of content providers, content creators, tools, um, identity managers that range from, you know, those giant uh, North Stars to independent, um, you know, tool makers, content creators, uh, you know, one person shops who are able to create content. That is the same kind of ecosystem that we need to, to be looking for and rebuilding inside of a metaverse. And it's that interoperability 
that is a bit of things like commerce and things like identity that is a little less important for the web that will be more important for the metaverse. There's going to have to be compromise between some of these giants because um, you're not going to want different identity systems in different uh, virtual places. Um, and, 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 and we might have that for a while. I think we probably will as, as you know, these, uh, these kingdoms are built up, but <laughs> in the long run, they will have to interoperate and interconnect with each other to make things, uh, as successful and, and as pervasive as they could be. Mm-hmm. How does, how does AR play into this transition, um, from where we are today to this idea of, of a metaverse in the future? I think AR and voice and the metaverse all sort of are parallel technologies that uh, replace a lot of the stuff that we have today, you know, 10 or 20 years in the future. Um, But uh, AR, you can think of the metaverse as replacing the internet itself and all of the, you know, the, the, the stuff that we look at and interact with, whether that's websites or apps or whatever, that sort of goes into the metaverse. AR is about pulling that those same experiences into the physical world. And then you basically have two halves of the same coin um, where, you know, without being, you know, super pedantic about where those things live, you're going to have the same experiences in the metaverse if you're online. And if you're out and about in the physical world, those will be pulled into the physical world using AR and voice, basically. And this might be the most difficult question of the entire show here, Adam, uh, knowing that, that, that this is, you know, we're going back to our roots here with, with the floor nine episode. But if we take a moment and think about like a brand perspective, obviously this is not something that's going to happen in the next year or two years, but it is something that we're tracking and, and we're seeing a shift. Um, so what is the importance for brands to be aware of, uh, how this is being built and potentially its impact on consumer behavior. Yeah, I mean, I think the, there's a couple of things that are accessible today and these trends that are, are starting today that you can start engaging with. One that I think should be obvious uh, to to everybody at this point in, in quarantine is um, these, what we've been calling digital third spaces, uh, but social spaces online that, that exist for these sort of real-time mm-hmm. socialization. So not you know, not feed-based things, not social, not traditional social networks, but things like games uh, and and other digital third places where people are gathering to socialize. There's a lot of time being spent on these platforms right now, and there's a lot of opportunity for brands to engage with uh, with consumers um, on these platforms and to to meet them where they are, basically. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I think is starting to gain traction that, that brands can get involved in now is um, this idea of digital goods, which we have been talking about for a while at the lab. Um, but uh, the idea that you know virtual op- objects, skins, clothing, uh, they all have real value and people are willing to pay for them. Um, so figuring out what a digital version of your product or service uh, looks like and um, figuring out the the right ways to express that and places to um, either sell that or give that away uh, to to consumers. Well, I think that's going to wrap up our conversation on on the metaverse. Uh, if you want to go check out the the articles that Adam wrote, you can go check out our Medium website. Uh, part one and part two are, are both there, uh, but also we'll post a link in the show notes so you can easily just click out from there. Uh, again, if you have any questions, as always, feel free to reach out. You, you you can reach out to me on Twitter at 
T-I-P-P-I-E-R, or at Adam, which is at Adam J. Simon. Uh, and we'll uh, we'll be back uh, next week. So we'll uh, we'll talk soon, everybody. Bye.